Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Arjun Kapoor here in London. Yes, I've moved back uh, to London from Guangzhou. Bit of a change of scenery, but we're back after a few months with a brand new episode of the podcast. And today we're going to be talking about Web3. It's a term, uh, it's a buzzword at the moment for sure uh, in the world of the internet. And we're going to be speaking to the man who coined that phrase, back in 2014. But before we get into Web 3, we need to understand a little bit about what exactly Web 1 and Web 2 are so we can talk about the future. Now, Web 1 is what we saw in the 90s. That was really about static web pages. It was based on so-called open protocols. And the idea was for it not to be centralized, i.e. owned by, by a single entity. And, and this idea of centralization versus decentralization is something we're going to talk a lot about in this episode because it's very key to the idea of Web3. Then came Web2 in the early 2000s, and that very much is the internet that we know today. We've seen the emergence of social media, user-generated content, the ad-driven business models as well, but also the birth of internet giants, huge billion-dollar companies that are very key to the internet as we know it as well. And with the Web2 came centralization. And that idea is that a lot of what we do online goes through platforms or infrastructure owned by some of these huge giants. If you think about the platforms we use, Facebook and Twitter, and of course, the infrastructure based on companies like Amazon and Microsoft, you can see where that idea ha has come from. And, and many say these companies operate walled gardens or, or closed ecosystems uh, as well. And of course, the Web 2 that we know really is is under the purview of central uh, government regulators as well. So fast forward now to web3 this is currently what technologists are, are trying to work on and attempting to change the status quo of web2 the key to this is really about decentralization and as i mentioned we'll get more into that term but it's the idea that no single entity will be able to own whatever the future of the internet begins uh, to look like apps will run on um, algorithms and consensus and there are a few technologies that could be a part of a key part of that one of those is blockchain technology something we've heard a lot about as it relates to cryptocurrencies uh, as well when we know some of those platforms like ethereum like Polkadot are working towards web3 applications as well another key part of web3 is the fact that the people working on it say that it will be trustless. Again, another key term we will dig into further in the conversation uh, we're about to have now. But it's something that uh, the idea goes that currently in Web 2, we have to trust companies like Google, like Facebook, etc. with our data, with carrying out their services, etc. But that won't necessarily uh, happen with Web 3, where we can work on a, a trustless system. As I mentioned, we will dig into that. And proponents of Web 3 say that it will be censorship resistant, as well as giving users more control of their data. But look, we're in the very early days of Web 3 right now. There's no unified definition. Web 3 
is something different to to different people as well but there are a number of projects underway and I'm really excited because we're about to catch up now with with Gavin Wood, who is the co-founder or one of the co-founders of Ethereum, a blockchain platform you you may know a bit about, but also the founder of Parity Technologies, which has a blockchain platform called Polkadot. He coined the term Web3 uh, in 2014, and so he's got his own views on this. Gavin, uh, thanks for joining me here on Beyond the Valley. Really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for having me here, Arjun. So let's kick off the conversation then. Uh, and before we get into how we're defining Web3, what that might look like, tell me your view on what you believe right now is the current pro- current problem with, with the way the web is designed with, with Web2. I think it comes down to the, the fact that Web2 is largely a sort of uh, carbon copy um, in terms of the social architecture, in terms of like the power architecture. It's a carbon copy of, of society um, uh, that we've uh, sort of that created Web2. Uh, by that, what I mean is that we have um, these relatively large institutions that control like the important services um, in the in sort of the real world. We're talking about like banks, insurance companies, a lot of financial things, um, <clears throat> and we're talking about many of the major corporates. Um, on the internet world, you know. We see the you know Facebook, Google, um, Twitter, Amazon, so on. Um, now this <clears throat> this has a you know the big problem with this is that we it's the sort sort of the same thing as placing all your eggs in one basket. Um, if uh, if something goes wrong with one of these services, then um, uh, you know the service is suddenly unavailable for an awful lot of people. Furthermore. Um, where the key word here is trust. We're having to trust the people behind the services. We're having to trust the owners of the companies that run the service. And we're having to trust many of the employees um, with uh, you know, very important um, stuff that I think we're only just coming to realize how important it is. Um, uh, data being one of them, our communications being another. Um, and so, yeah, we, we kind of managed to architect ourselves into this um, somewhat like dystopian uh, version of what the world could be. So then when you look forward to to the concept of Web3, which which sort of at the moment have has a lot of different definitions to a lot of different different people, uh, nothing quite unified yet. But when you look at your idea of Web3, um, what does that look like? And how does that look to change the current status quo? Really, for me, Web3 is about reducing the amount of trust that we need to give in order to use the services that we rely on every day. Um, whether it's you know trading, whether it's communication, um, you know the, the the things that we sort of have increasingly come to use rely on the internet for, um, and within the internet, like we have really now tended towards mobile and web as the sort of main ways of getting these um, getting to these services. So you know these are the sort of platforms. Um, uh, that we use and web three is really a sort of an alternative um, vision of the web where um, the services that we use are not like hosted by a single service provi- provider company but rather they're sort of um, purely algorithmic things uh, that are in some sense hosted by everybody so it's like um, it's very peer-to-peer right it's very the idea being that all participants sort of contribute a small slice of the ultimate service um and thus 
no one really has any advantage over anyone else in the same not not in the same sense at least as um, as you know with when you for example go to Amazon or you go to know, eBay or or, or or Facebook where the the company behind the service really has absolute power over what it is that they that they do um, in the in providing the service so so when you talk about this the fact that we trust a lot of these large companies with things like our data with them to, to run these services we then move on to this this idea of, of a trustless model with, with, with web3 um, how does that look from a technological perspective because there's so many technologies that are floated around web3 whether it be a blockchain uh, that leads to decentralization whether it's cryptocurrencies as well how is it that this sort of this trustless um web comes about technologically speaking there are a few sort of currents to um what i sort of coined as web3 back in 2014 um broadly speaking they center around um you know communication and managing uh, communication sort of expectations i mean that's really what it's about like when i talk to um uh, when I talk to my brother over the phone, I don't expect there to be anyone else listening to it. It's not like the phone service has given me some absolute guarantee of privacy, but nonetheless, my expectations are that you know no one would be listening to it. Um, and the problem is that we've seen that many of these sort of expectations, particularly as technology has moved onto you know packet-based network onto the internet, um, these expectations have become weaker. Uh, well, the expectations have remained the same. The, uh, the, the the reality is that the expectations are, are increasingly not met. And so part of Web3 is really, um, well, the whole of Web3 is, is about delivering on these expectations that we sort of already had, um, but, but ensuring that the technology actually helps enforce our expectations rather than having to trust um, somebody to do that. So yeah, part of this is about um, using cryptography in order to help guarantee privacy. And I, I'm, I'm intentionally being a little bit sort of, um, I'm intentionally using words like uh, probably and um, uh, help do something and reduce rather than remove. Because at the end of the day, there are no absolute guarantees. What we are, what we are working is to um, is to re reduce the amount of trust that we have to do. We can never remove it entirely, and we have to be realistic about that. But um, so one of the ways that we do it, like cryptography, another way that we do it, as you mentioned, blockchain, um, and this helps us um, help helps us get our the expectations about what our dealing is. So it's like if we want to do a transaction, maybe it's like maybe it's a, a foreign exchange transaction, right? It's like I, I have some uh, pounds sterling and I want to get some dollars. Um, I, I might, uh, you know, I might use this technology in order to, um, in order to make that exchange. And the idea is that I don't have to. Um, I, I have some expectation that, for example, no one's like making making money off my. No one's making too much money, like off my exchange. Maybe there's like a an, a, a, a market rate, and I, I only get like a little bit under the market rate. Well, I can I can like I have much more guarantees about. Um, about my expectations being met if if the, if it's done sort of without the need to trust anyone without the possibility of someone like having the power of me to be able to um you know alter the exchange rate or you know what whatever it, in some sense make the deal better for them than it than it would otherwise be for uh, so yeah i mean at the end of the day it's um it's about introducing like much about blockchain is about introducing accountability verifiability um in order to reduce 
um, the uh, the impact of needing to trust or reduce the amount of trust itself. And I think that that's a, that's a really good example. And I think a lot of people might be thinking about, well, what does this mean for sort of some of the everyday apps I'm, I'm using, you know, social media apps? Uh, we know some of the largest companies in the world are in the business of, of social media or or search or some or even, you know, some of the Internet infrastructure. So uh, if there's someone watching this going, well, what does that mean? What does what does a version of Twitter on Web3 look like? What does the version of Facebook on, on Web3 look like or, or some of the other popular apps they use? Web3 is, is sort of been coming at it from a direction that is not uh, trying to replicate um, sort of the existing Web2, you know, beer moths um, that we have in the world. Um, but yeah, I think and I, I think it's like it's important to understand that like Web3 is in part solving um like alternative problems so it's not necessarily going to wholly replace web 2 in the same way that web 2 didn't really wholly replace web 1 there were still like um, very much web 1 websites out there it's just that the really big ones that have sort of gotten uh, entrenched in our lives do tend to be web 2 um but yeah i mean if we start thinking about maybe a web 3 version of twitter um it's really it's going to start looking like uh you know something which i have uh, i have control over my posts uh, it's it's uh, so I'm, I don't know. Maybe I can um, I can remove them all if I choose. Maybe if uh, uh, maybe there's like um, an increased amount of um, awareness about where the posts come from. So it's much harder for someone to like uh, fake my identity uh, because we have like you know cryptographic based proofs that that I have done this and I, and only I could could possibly have done this. Um, we have um, probably elements of um, sort of greater like freedom of speech are gonna that would make their way into there in the sense that the system isn't going to inherently have uh, gatekeepers that in the same way that you know there are Twitter employees that act effectively as gatekeepers to the system. What I was just wondering more more about when people begin using apps built upon Web three platforms. Uh, Will they will they say, oh look, I, I you know uh, I'm using a Web three app. I, it's it's noticeable, or are they just using another app that that perhaps works in a, in a different way? So I think the trick will be um, uh, to do the to make it the latter, right? Because at the moment it's very much the former. It's like, well, I, I have to download this and I have to configure that and I have to go here and there. It's very uh, it's relatively complex to use a, a, a sort of truly Web three app. Um, in a safe, secure, decentralized manner. Um, now, there are a lot of portals that are not, that, that sort of really relax a lot of the decentralization um, in favor of making it easier. Um, but um, in the fullness of time, um, then I think the the services, the Web three services that that sort of will come to be used, will be um, largely indistinguishable in terms of user experience. Um, from like Web2 services, the main points of differentiation will be um, maybe a little bit more information delivered through the service, probably if it's done, if it's done properly in a, in a fairly subtle fashion, um, that users will kind of pick up on a lot of the time subconsciously, um, uh, but that won't impact 
um, the overall sort of service. I wanted to pick up on on a couple other uh, concepts and parts of the Web3 occasion as well, Gavin. Firstly, this, and we've been sort of speaking about it throughout this conversation, this idea of decentralization. Uh, and, you know, we've heard the term as it applies to things like Bitcoin, uh, for example, and the way that works. But what does it mean for, for Web3 uh, and the way that, that apps uh, in Web3 will work as well? So decentralization, the first thing to do is, is clear up a, a small sort of a, a little bit of confusion that arises around the term decentralization. So <clears throat> decentralization um, kind of comes in two flavors. One of them is where you distribute the um, um, the assets, the, the computation machinery, the, the, the servers, right, into like, you know many different places, uh, usually like geographically distributed. Um, in a, a as a means of of basically speeding the service up for everybody, no matter where they are on the globe. So this is what, for example, Google and Facebook do. They got tens, hundreds, of thousands of servers all dotted around the globe, um, all very fast, very speedily connected to each other, and it allows them to provide a very effective service. It's still politically centralized, right? The CEO of Zuckerberg of Facebook or um, or the you know, CEO of Microsoft, Google, whatever, if they uh, decide to turn them all off, they can, right? It's just a flick of the switch away for them. They probably hear, uh, <laughs> hear from the board <laughs> not, very, not very long afterwards, but in principle, they hold that power. Um, the decentralization that we're talking about is political decentralization. So this is where the power itself is decentralized, right? There isn't a single person that can like turn off Bitcoin. That, 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 that's it. The CEO of Bitcoin doesn't exist. Um, on, and, and it doesn't exist by design, right? There, there literally isn't. There could never be, assuming you know the, the fundamentals of Bitcoin are sound, there could never be a CEO of Bitcoin able to actually switch the network off. Um, so then, then it's like, well, what's the point? Why do we, why do, we do decentralization? I mean, the, the, main, the, main, the best answer to this that I found is it's kind of the same reason that we do encryption, right? It allows us to have a, a, a credible um, uh, expectation right about the service that we're going to get so with with encryption it allows us to credibly expect that we'll have privacy that it is literally that no one's listening in on the call even this call we're doing it over the internet we're using um, we're using encryption it's not a given right that this is absolutely private there might be spyware installed on one or one or one or the other laptop uh, there could be like a bug in the room. I don't know, whatever. But it's it's far less likely than if we were doing this over over the clear. If we're doing just standard HTTP, um, decentralization allows um, a similar um, a similar sort of increase in what we can credibly expect from our service. Um, for example, with Bitcoin. Uh, it's decentralized, which means we can credibly expect that there isn't a single actor that can um, uh, that can censor our desired transaction, or that can lock our account, that can prevent us from spending our money, um, that can steal our money. Right? These are all things that, because of decent, because it's decentralized by design, um, we can we we now have a credible expectation of. We don't have that credible expect expectation. With uh, if our funds are uh, custodied by a bank, or if we're trying to use a service like PayPal, right? Because there is a um, a CEO of PayPal that can flick the switch on my account, on the service, on the network, whatever. But there is that that power is held by a single individual, and uh, in some cases, 
with without too much accountability. And furthermore, we will never know if there is accountability or not because we're not allowed to look into PayPal's corporate structure and look at you know and audit it and check the processes in place and all the rest of it. Um, so because uh, we because we have decentralization, we are able um, to get more credible um, gar- like expectations of 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 privacy, of uh, non-censorability, of freedom, of, of service provision. Um, and it, it, decentralization is one, one of a number of things that we use to do this. We use advanced mathematics, we use like cryptography, we use some very exotic uh, bits of, uh, of cryptography, we use game theory increasingly as well, um, it, all in order to um, make sure that our expectations about these services will be met regardless of the desires or uh, incompetence or um, like uh, m- uh, maliciousness of, of anybody else um, in the world. We're just going to take a quick break. Stick with us. We'll be right back after this short message. Subscribe to the Squawkbox Europe Express podcast. Join Steve, Karen and myself, Arabile, in unscripted and dynamic debate around the day's top stories with first and exclusive interviews of the best in business and global newsmakers, original points of view and instant analysis of the latest business news and key market themes. Get set for the day ahead. Squawkbox Europe Express podcast, now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. So uh, on top of decentralization, you know, another uh, thing that people are looking at when it comes to Web3 is, well, what role does digital tokens and other cryptocurrencies play in the mix as well? You know, you've got this idea that, well, there might be some platforms that are powered by certain digital tokens and they're going to be a key part of the Web3 mix and Web3 applications. Where do you where do you stand on that? So the concept of currency was like the first service, right? That, that this technology provided. It's blockchain technology, Bitcoin, currency that everyone knows now. And it was it, it was like we can we don't need a, a Bitcoin corp, right? We don't need a Bitcoin company to provide the service of a currency. We can do it sort of by everyone having a little slice of the of the network, doing their bit, and we we sort of have this service come up um, uh, from the sort of from the bottom. And uh, I, I think I think it was a great sort of demonstration. Um, it got my um, it, it sort of took my imagination, and I think it took a lot of other people's imagination. And this is where sort of we have got um, the sort of basics of, of Web three from. Um, I don't necessarily think, I think tokens can be very useful. So, uh, you know, back in the early days, back in like 2014, when we were um, first sort of uh, developed the designing Ethereum, um, it came up that we're like, maybe we don't want to have a, a token in Ethereum. Like, why, why are we building a, a currency into this thing? Do, is it, you know, do we really need it? Like, it's, it's meant to be like a computation platform. Like, why, why should it have a currency? Now, the reason that we kept the currency in was because it, it provided um, a safeguard against misuse of the system, effectively by requiring um, this sort of uh, this, this economic um, transaction, this, this like, you know, giving something economic, uh, economically valuable up by a user meant that users couldn't sort of spam the system with, with you know, useless uh, transactions or otherwise like abuse it effectively by putting a price on it you're um, you're, you're you're sort of t- turning away 
um, the uh, the people who would have used the system. Um, and that we needed a token in order to be able to put a price on the service. Obviously, you can't pay with cash if it's an internet-based service. We can't use like a bank or PayPal or anything like that. So like we needed a token as part of the service. And I think um, I think this model is reasonable. Um, and you know, we've definitely seen, as you said, like a lot of a lot of teams sort of announce a token that can be used to pay for their service. Um, it's an easy way of like um, of mitigating this kind of um, uh, um, a bit abuse of the system. I don't think it's necessarily. I don't think. Firstly, I don't think that currency per se is as uh, is necessarily like a um, going to be an enduring killer app, right? I think there probably will be other applications um, that will overshadow a currency itself. Kind of in the same way that the internet sort of started with, I don't know, news, you know, the Usenet, the, the sort of news service, and uh, an email, and they're, they're being increasingly overshadowed by all the other services that we've you know, come to use. I think um, I think it'll probably be fairly similar. I suspect that currency will continue to play a, a, a role in services. Overall, we're going to start seeing um, services be delivered without the need to use tokens. And I think that's gonna be a big jump. And I think it is one of the key factors that's gonna open the door to the mainstream. Quite honestly, I don't think many people who want to use some of the interesting services that are coming out and really want to own platform tokens. Like I don't think they want to like buy into, I don't know, whatever exchange token thing and then also into ETH in order to use the exchange. Uh, and 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 then actually do the service. I think they just want to do the service. And if you can provide, um, if you can provide the service without all of this extra stuff that people need to do and own and and, and control, then I think um, I think you sort of you've got a much greater chance of of effectively selling your product um, to, uh, in, into the mass market. I mean, what does that mean then for for this complex of of digital currencies and, and digital tokens that we have right now? Because Every time there's there's a new project that pops up, uh, you know they're like, "Hey, look at our flashy new token we have." Um, and you know there's some some price action involved with that. There's just hundreds of these tokens. So I mean, what does that mean for this this complex then of, of all these tokens that that are in existence? I don't think that it's gonna. I don't think like a multi currency world is gonna go away. I think it's inherently um, useful to have like a token which kind of represents the economy of a service like it's a relatively new model and it's kind of it's kind of interesting it does allow um uh, you know it allows more it allows some things that you couldn't otherwise get the moment we've got this weird thing where there's like a company that's behind one or more services and you could kind of maybe buy into the company on the stock exchange but it's quite hard um you know there's no way that you that you're small holdings are really going to affect governance of the company you oftentimes the company is private anyway so you can't like there's no way that you can buy it and we have like an alternative model now where um in principle you have much more direct control you have like you know um, you can form um bodies that can sort of collectives that can wield power within the governance of the service 
Uh, I'm glad you brought up governance uh, as well, Gavin, because, you know, that that is a big debate at the moment. How does governance work in the world of, of Web3? And of course, you mentioned there, you know, traditional companies, you might buy some shares in it. But but ultimately, unless you've got, you know, billions invested in some of the biggest companies and, and, and the correct voting rights for your shares, you're not going to be able to influence some of those those decisions. So as you look at the world of Web3, you know, one of the ideas as well, look, if there's a platform that has uh, tokens, um involved with it you know perhaps it's to do with how many tokens you have or perhaps it's to do with how long you've been holding those tokens or many other kind of theories around how governance exactly works with web3 what would you say is the best way for that in your view how should governance governance work in the world of web3 uh i think it's very much an unsolved problem so i i don't really want to stick my neck out and say what the best thing is i think i think this is still something that's going to be developed um a lot over the next um, years and probably decades. Overall, I think uh, a good governance um, should combine elements of, you know, technocratic um, decision making. So, like, you know, try and get experts to make the best decisions, um, whilst also um, accepting the fact that uh, a majority of stakeholders can ultimately sync the service if they if they so choose like if if you have like the very nature of uh this kind of collective um ownership and um service provision that if, if you know a particular service particularly like proof of stake services which tend to be like the next generation of crypto currencies crypto um, projects are generally um, sort of controllable by a strict majority or by maybe a supermajority. We have to accept the fact that a, a, the, the, a majority can essentially destroy or, or severely handicap at least the service. So they can, if you if you don't have the backing of the majority, you're kind of already screwed. <laughs> so what we need to do is ensure that, uh, that there is a backstop, a sensible backstop that allows the majority to exercise its its power in a sensible way, um, whilst also um, assuming that the majority are broadly happy with, you know, sort of the direction that maybe a technocratic minority are happy to take it in, um, then uh, um, then there can be kind of delegated or there, there is a way of ensuring that they don't need to be around day-to-day -day decisions if they don't really want to be. And a lot of the time they don't. I think it's a difficult question to answer. I think we have to be very careful about what it is that we want to achieve. Uh, overall, I do think that, that we can do a lot better than coin voting than this like one coin, one vote. And I think we can definitely do a lot better than uh, like classic Athenian uh, democracy or what it was in principle, which was one head, one vote. Um, I think we can uh, uh, we can sort of look towards um, uh, certain like game theoretic economic mechanisms um, to um, to try to make sure that the decisions that are made actually do fulfil the goal that we the goal that we want. Um, and one of the ways that we're sort of spearheading this in Polkadot is to have um, this concept of of, of uh, uh, conviction voting, right? So conviction voting is basically where you lock yourself into the system voluntarily um say basically saying i won't move my coins i won't sell them i won't spend them um, i won't transfer them anywhere they're kind of frozen locked um for a particular period of time with the idea being that the longer that you agree that you voluntarily lock them for the greater um, the overall weight of your vote so it's like by 
by saying I'm going to stick around for the long haul, maybe 24 months, then you get much more voting power um, than you would with someone with the same amount of, uh, of, of tokens, but who is, un who is unwilling to lock them at all. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that this will, um, this will allow the system to make um, you know, overall better long-term decisions um, rather than be, you know, solely focused on like, you know, short-term needs. And I do want to address, I guess, just in this next part of the conversation, a bit about some of the risks, challenges, criticisms as well of Web3 so far. And, and you know, I'll pull a couple up at the moment. You know, one one high profile one, of course, was the, the Twitter founder, Jack Dorsey, talking about uh, Web3, saying, you know, it's, it's the venture capitalists and their limited partners, really, that own Web3. He so, said it will never really escape their incentives, uh, and it's ultimately a centralized entity uh, with a different label. And, of course, you've also had the, the founder of Signal, Moxie Marlin, talking about Web3 um, as it stands is not really decentralized. You sort of need to uh, – platforms are emerging, but to access, access those um, – and the blockchain, you need to go via other interfaces as well. So as you, as you listen to those two criticisms uh, and challenges at the moment, uh, what are your thoughts about, about the risk of, of centralization when it does come to Web3? So I, I would say that they're, they're two like, very different criticisms. And uh, um, I think it, it may well be true that there are some protocols that are really just Web3 in name are largely centralized. Um, they're largely um, uh, under the heavy influence, if not direct control of, uh, of a single group with a single economic um, um, alignment. Um, this, if that's what sort of Jack was referencing, then, yeah, you know, there's, there's maybe some, um, some latitude there. But I think um, that's not the Web3 I'm talking about. Right, I'm talking about the like legitimate protocols, um, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Polkadot. Um, these are, uh, I think, much more. Um, these these do not sacrifice um, uh, decentralization, um, the guarantee of expectations in favor of convenience, ease, speed, um, and uh, uh, you know, and all of the other sort of uh, market market worthy terms. Um, Overall, the key difference that I think is not represented by uh, um, in, in sort of Jack's statement is that these systems are rules based. They're fundamentally rules based, even the ones that have uh, a lot of VC backing. Um, they, yes, the VCs may get richer if the system does well, but I mean that's 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 just the nature of investment. The key thing is, um, do, the, do the VCs have the ability to switch the rules um, on the users? Like, can they basically mutate the service into something that the users didn't want? Um, in the same way that like Facebook, for example, can just switch the terms and conditions. Yeah, Moxie brings up an interesting point, which was basically that a lot of the, um, a lot of the most like uh, used decentralized services um, their users go through one or more centralized layers in order to use them. And again, this is this is essentially um, 
you know, a big, a big example here would be Ethereum, right? Ethereum is a decentralized service. It's a blockchain. It's run by many different miners who all contribute a bit of uh, compute power and, and, and help push transactions through. Great. Um, and if you use the blockchain directly, if you like run your own Ethereum node, so you have to download, it's quite, it's quite a lot of effort. Um, then you can legitimately run Ethereum um, uh, in, in the in the way that it was sort of intended, and, and uh, as it says on the tin, as advertised, it's like actually decentralized. But most people don't do that because it's a lot of effort and it's it's not very convenient. So most people will go through um, a service called uh, Infura and MetaMask, um, and Infura is basically uh, it's run by a single company. Um, it, it and they spin up all these Ethereum nodes uh, around the world to allow people to access Ethereum. But of course, by they access Ethereum through a very much trusted entity. And they just sort of trust these this service to like tell them all about the Ethereum blockchain, what's going on, what transactions have, have happened. Um, and of course, if it's compromised, then in principle, you can um, you can put user funds at risk. You can do all, you know, it, it can be insecure and unsafe. Um, and this is, this is, as far as I understand it, like kind of mocks his point. Um, yeah, the core of it might be decentralized, but a lot of the sort of, as you get closer to the user, it's still heavily centralized. Um, this, you know, these services were only really meant to be a stopgap to allow, um, you know, for this, like, uh, for the period while we hadn't quite got the uh, the technology uh, developed yet that would allow users to actually use a decentralized um, service all the way through the through the journey from their computer to Ethereum. Um, with Polkadot, we are very much uh, um, uh, uh, focusing on ensuring that this entire journey from user to blockchain and back again is uh, properly decentralized. So we have um, you know, technology that allows us to actually interact with the blockchain, with the peers on the blockchain network directly um, from, the, from the browser. And what this means is, in reality, that users will go to a, you know, a, a, a page or a website, whatever, and they will be uh, able to be guaranteed that their browser is actually legitimately um, uh, sort of connecting in to a decentralized sort of cloud of nodes uh, and is checking what information it's getting from the nodes, is validating the proofs so we don't have to trust the nodes in the same way that any other node on the network doesn't trust the other nodes blindly. Um, it verifies, it validates, um, and uh, any nodes that is found to be trying to trick it at all um, are sort of tagged as malicious and disconnected. Um, this is uh, this is in my mind a very crucial um, thing to do, and I think Mox is absolutely right for bringing it up. Um, and I think it's uh, you know it, it will it will be a key differentiator if it isn't already uh, between blockchain systems that sort of do provide this fully decentralized um, journey um, to the ones that sort of don't. <laughs> that is really just um, really just aiming to cash in on the Web3 um, sort of name. There's just two more points that I want to talk about, uh, Gavin. And the first one is, uh, I guess, where regulation fits into all this because you know you you will see some platforms come up that are perhaps in the decentralized finance space and dealing with areas that are heavily regulated and you know could potentially be in the purview of regulators i, I can't see regulators sort of seeing a platform where well you know uh, just because you're decentralized you don't have to uh, uh, you know adhere to things like know your customer or anti-money laundering laws and these kind of things 
um as well so so how how do you see at this point regulators interact with with the future of of the web bitcoin is unregulated and it's it's providing a service that i think would otherwise if it were if it were hosted by a single entity be regulated um other services you know there were services a bit similar to bitcoin e-gold is a notable one uh, that that sort of came out 10 15 years before bitcoin and um and they were shut down by regulators um yeah it, it was determined that you know they were doing money transmission they were breaking you know kyc aml laws whatever um bitcoin didn't get shut down right and this isn't because the regulators um you know decided that bitcoin was was great or somehow in their you know acting in their interests or acting under the guidance of regulation um it was basically because they couldn't shut it down like the technology that was the, you know the, this decentralized technology was actually working and it was um the expectations that i mentioned before like the expectation that a single economic actor cannot uh, break your uh, break your system break your guarantees um were true um in this case the single economic actor was you know an element of the of, of the um, of the government of, of, of one of the western governments and um and they were unable to break the sort of broad guarantee of bitcoin which is that you know you can put a transaction through and you won't be sent i don't think i don't think we're necessarily going to find regulators say you know when you hit this level of decentralization then we give you a free pass but i think um going off what we've seen with bitcoin there will probably be a greater understanding that when you hit this level of of decentralization to the point that there is really nobody whose door we could knock on to take the service down um then we're probably going to accept that that you are in the same class of things as bitcoin and um you know we will not necessarily like it but we will put up with it um now you might find services that actually voluntarily implement um regulations from you know within one or more of the of the sort of major um powers um and they do this basically because they're not sure if they are sufficiently decentralized they're not sure if maybe there will be a knock on the door um or um or because you know they actually they they do it out of their own self interest in terms of uh, product like they want to make their product uh, more um available to a more a, a bigger group of people and by making it um fit under the regulatory framework um they can do that for those blockchains they really are going to need to um uh you know work things out for themselves and for the ones that are truly decentralized um yeah i would i would hope we get to a point where um you know uh, i guess a, a level of of the same level of realism on the part of um on the part of the global uh, regulators uh, that we seem to have arrived at with bitcoin which is that um you know it, it's the service itself is unlikely to be regulatable just on a, 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 a practical level uh, and therefore we should um look towards regulating uh if 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 regulation is is needed uh, we should look towards regulating um the uh the you know the sort of users of the service rather than the service itself so really try to avoid this um this desire to kind of um influence the the big um 
uh, entity and and you know pare things down to something a bit more manageable and it may well be that um, the cost of regulating individual users um, outweighs the benefit of, 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 of the actual regulation and you know maybe it will maybe it won't but if it if it doesn't then it what we will see is like basically less regulation and I would hope um, a replacement of this relatively blunt instrument that is state regulation um, with uh, you know a much more agile um, uh, sort of instrument which is um, algorithmic regulation which is basically um, using the openness and the transparency and some of the tools that you know these kinds of services these kinds of cryptographic and game theoretic based services uh, provide the user that might mean that some forms of regulation um, are are not really needed another big part of I guess the conversation about web 3 and and is one of the consequences of it and that could be that potentially the power of some of these tech giants at the moment, um could diminish uh to some extent that's what a lot of proponents um say uh about the what web3 could do to the current state of, of power of these tech companies do you do you buy into that i think it's going to be hard to make a dent in um to uh, in these these goliaths i think uh i think re- realistically we're going to maybe it's a similar model to like Microsoft in the nineties, right? Huge monopolistic power, like huge sweat, 90 plus percent control of the market. Um, But the reality was that the world changed um, around them. So they didn't do anything wrong, right? They did. And there was no, there was no customer. There was no like Apple or or IBM that managed to outcompete them. Um, it's just that the world changed and what they were providing was just not that relevant anymore. Um, you know, it didn't matter that you were running the Windows operating system or authoring your document in Microsoft Word and like into like 2010. Like we had, you know, other things, we used the web as a platform and the web could be used on any operating system. Um, we have, you know, um, we, we don't, we stopped buying boxed software. We just, used the web um, and we went to a URL with like Google Docs. It's like, all right, now I can basically do everything I did on Microsoft Word, but I can do it online. I don't pay anything. And I've instantly got connectivity with everybody else. I can share it easily and all the rest of it. And it's like, well, you know, the world changed. And the, I think maybe, you know, with, with Facebook's move to Meta, like we do see some efforts to like preempt the world changing around around these services but ultimately i think uh i would hope that like web3 um fulfills the needs of the of the future um in a way that can never really be fulfilled by these centralized service providers um but i don't i don't see like a, a fight happening right I, I think you know, I think it will either happen because the world changes and people suddenly realize that they need these guarantees, um, this this credible expectations that, that the Web3 gives them. Um, I, I don't think that, um, yeah, that, that like they're going to be out, that they're going to outcompete Web2 purely based on like products. Uh, and Gavin, just just a final one as we wrap up this this conversation. Um, what is the risk that you know Web three is ultimately just just a this utopian vision that that doesn't come to pass in the end? Yeah, I think 
I think visions are why builders build. And, um, you know, I think, I think when you start, well, at least when I start down a project, yeah, I have a pretty, uh, you know, idealistic way of, uh, of imagining what it is that, that I will get once I've built it. Um, and I don't think it ever really happens. Like maybe it's in my life, it's happened maybe twice that I've set off building something non-trivial and it's, it's turned out at least as good as what I, what I've been expecting. Most of the time, you know, it either takes longer, you get kind of stuck halfway, um, or, or you build it and then it's like, yeah, you know, yeah, didn't quite hit the, hit the goal that I, that I was wanting. I think, um, I think it doesn't matter though. All right. I think that, um, it's, uh, I think that we, we need these sort of idealistic, uh, visions about what it is that we're doing in order to just kind of get through the day and do it and enjoy it and be excited about it. Um, curiosity is like, is crucial. It's like, can it be as good as I imagine? Um, and maybe at the end of the day, you know, it, it will be half as good as, as this like amazing utopian <laughs> dream. But it will still, in my mind, be better than what we have at the moment, which is, um, you know, a world based upon um, essentially authoritarian power. And we hope that it's benevolent. We hope that it's honest. We hope that we can trust them. And a lot of the time we're forced into trusting them. And a lot of the time this trust is not really evidence-based trust, it's blind faith. And um, I think a world based around that isn't so great. And so maybe we can't remove all of that. Maybe, maybe we can only reduce it a little bit. But like I would say it's still moving in the right direction um, to remove this, um, uh, this reliance on authority. Yeah, I mean, that's a really nice way to end the conversation. I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me. Thanks for thanks for uh, conversing, Arjun. It was, it was really Absolutely fascinating conversation with, with Gavin Wood there, who, of course, coined the term Web3 in 2014. What's very clear is that we're in the early stages of whatever Web3 might end up looking like. Lots of development going on here. Lots of lots of grand ideas. I did ask at the end there, is this just a, a utopia? Because that really is what it sort of appears to be at this point in time. And there are, nece- there are sort of some big questions that still remain, of course. Will Web3 go mainstream? Uh, or will it just be for a few uh, people who are very interested in technology? Will the tech giants be involved uh, and will it actually diminish their power as well as some proponents uh, say? And ultimately, will we see the landscape of the Internet as we know it change? Now, there's no doubt this is a topic we will revisit on the podcast at some point as the technology begins to develop. And if you want to hear a little bit more about some of the concepts we talked about, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain, we have plenty of episodes on that uh, in the Beyond the Valley series as well but let me know what you thought about today's episodes and your views on webs three you can uh, comment below you can also reach out directly i'm on twitter at arjun carpal would love to get your thoughts but that's it for now for another episode of cnbc's beyond the valley thanks for watching and listening and i'll catch you next time beyond the valley